You're listening to episode 18 of Unfinished Business, the weekly discussion show about the business end of web, design and creative industries. And today is Friday 10th of May 2013. The show is hosted by me, Anna Devlin, and by my co-host, Andy Clark. You didn't read that bit out? No, I'm not reading that bit out. (laughs) (laughs) This show wouldn't be possible without our sponsors this week, Perch, the little content management system for projects where you don't want a big, complex CMS, and Ben Frayne's fabulous new book, SAS and Compass for Designers. We'll tell you more about them later in the show. All the links that we mentioned in this episode are in our show notes, and you'll find them at unfinished.bz forward slash 18. How are you doing, Andy? Hey, guess what? What? Guess what I got? An ape. No, it's not. It's actually better than an ape this time. I am waiting for a new ape to arrive. I'm getting a bit itchy. But <laughs> no, there's a new Pistol Annie's album out this week. What? Pistol Annie's. They're a country band. You love country music, don't you? You told me you love country music. No. Oh. <laughs> well, I love country music. And there's a new Pistol Annie's album out. And it's really, really good. In fact, if you don't like country music, you, I think you're going to like this. Mm. It's good. I'll put a link in the notes. But it's ever so good. Mm. I've been waiting for like a year and a half since the last album they did. And it's just so good. You're not, you're not going to sound impressed by this. <laughs> no. An ape would have been better. <laughs> no, it's really, it's really, really good. Listeners out there, ignore Anna. It's yeah. actually a really good country music album. And it's um, Miranda Lambert, who I love. And uh, Ashley Munro, who's also really, really good. And Angelina Presley as well. And uh, they're the Pistolanis. And it's just 40 minutes of country music gold. (laughs) What's this about you doing a comedy talk? Oh, man. (laughs) So I got asked. I don't, you know, because I don't get involved in a lot of the local business groups. um, Because we don't do any business around here, really, much anymore. And I never get involved in any of these local business meetups. So we get a phone call from this really nice lady, really, really lovely lady, Nia, if you're listening, you're amazing, um, who works for Combi Council. And she says, we've got this business event on. Um, there's going to be a couple of speakers talking about, you know, their business and their business journey and all that stuff. Uh, would you speak? I'm like, yes, I'll have a go. Because, you know, I thought to myself, don't be such a, you know, unsociable bugger and he just go to this thing and you know maybe meet people and you know get out of your bubble and so i did but i wanted i did a talk about comedians and all of the things that you could learn um about business from bob monkhouse and <laughs> michael barrymore and i told jokes and i told stories <laughs> and it went down really badly, I think. Oh, I just no. like see. Well, I didn't. Nobody threw anything. Nobody heckled. <laughs> I think it would have been worse if they had a. It would have been better if they had a heckle because it, it was like I'd tell a joke and it went <laughs> tumbleweed. And I mean, I, admittedly, they were bad jokes. <laughs> they were bad jokes. <laughs> Two blondes walk into a building. You'd think one of them would have seen it. That was one of my gags. I went to Tesco. I went to Tesco oh. the other day. I know it's terrible. I went to Tesco the other day. I complained about this uh, this vinegar that I bought. I said it's got lumps in it. I said, "I'm sorry, sir. That's they're pickled onions." Huh? You see? Oh God! So I went to Tesco <laughs> to complain about some vinegar that I bought. Yeah. I said it's got lumps in it. Yeah. And they said, "I'm sorry, sir. Those are pickled onions." Uh, Not even the second time. Oh, my God. You see, this is the thing. It went down like a pork chop at a bar mitzvah. 
And <laughs> so they sort of see, and I was being serious about the, the business topic, but I don't think they're going to ask me back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I put a suit on and everything. You can put the slides up online. No, there weren't any slides. It was oh. just me and my comedy gold. <laughs> was it like a morning thing? Uh, no, it was an evening thing. Uh, were they yeah. wearing you, suits? Uh, no, I was. I think I was the only one in a suit. Um, <laughs> but I, was, I just thought I'd just spice it up a little bit and I'd tell jokes. <laughs> I used to have kleptomania, but then I took something for it. You see, not a giggle. Not a giggle. Is it my jokes or is it the way I tell them or what? I don't know. I don't know what kleptomania is. Kleptomania. Oh, my God. Kleptomania is when you're a compulsive thief. Oh. So I used to have kleptomania, but then I took something for it. (laughs) See? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I wouldn't say my wife's a bad cook, but she uses a smoke alarm as a timer. (laughs) Nothing. Not even a titter. (laughs) Sue said to me, can my mother come down for the weekend? I said, why? She said, because she's been on the roof now for two weeks. Oh, my God. These are really, these these are like really bad dad jokes. (laughs) Well, that's it. You see, that may be why people didn't laugh. Anyway, it didn't go well. I don't think they're going to ask me back. (laughs) Not for me comedy. Speaking of something funny, did you hear... Uh, Jeremy Keith's call to a design copycat this week. I heard of it, but I haven't listened to it. All right, so somebody has, you know, produced a design which is, in inverted commas, uh, heavily inspired by Clear Left. That that happens a lot to them. It does happen a lot to them. And people should be more careful. But I think Jeremy uh, Jeremy did something funny, which was, um, well, funny and serious. He phoned the guy up. Um, and recorded the conversation, um, and then put the conversation online. And there's been a lot of people going, oh, that was hilarious. Which he is, I mean, Jeremy's just, he's, he could be, he's a way better comic than I ever am. <laughs> he's, you know, he's, he's brilliant and sharp witted and funny and sardonic and, and everything. Um, but I think I must be the only person that thinks that it was wrong to put that online. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I mean, cause we talked about it before, how um, it's kind of, you've got to keep it professional. And Well, yeah, the guy, the, 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 obviously the, the guy didn't come off very well, um, but in the end was gracious. You should listen to it. In the end was, you know, he was gracious and kind of accepted defeat. And I think, you know, he was obviously humbled by the whole experience. And, you know, if that was the objective, then Jeremy didn't need to put it online. Mm-hmm. You know, just having the call would 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 have done the trick, and you didn't even need to record it. You know, just have the conversation with the guy. I just didn't think that it was the the right thing to do. I thought it was a bit cruel, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of heap indignity on top of humiliation. I just didn't think that it was the right thing to do. But as a piece of comedy, it's gold. <laughs> but you know, I tell you what else we. You sent me a look to how to sit down like a boss. Where yeah. the hell is this? It, this is from Star Trek, um, and it's this guy in Star Trek. Sorry, I'm not a Trekkie fan, I'm, so I don't know on, who it, it is. Up. But he, it's the way that he sits down on on a chair. Like it's just really weird, and it's kind of he just does it. He's got this really smug look on his face when he does it. Oh, it's Commander Riker. <laughs> Will Riker, 
Let's have a look. <laughs> but he does it about ten times. Not yeah, all, just... you know. It's all kind of cuts from from the program. But oh, this is funny. Just every time that he does it, he's got this look on his face, like yeah. He throws his leg over the back of the chair rather than actually just sort of sitting his bum down on it. And and everyone just looks at him normally. They're not like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah very good because i can I, I can imagine myself trying this out and just completely like falling over the chair <laughs> yeah can you imagine trying to do that you're not a trekkie then no are you gonna go and see the new movie i really week? like i really enjoyed the last film um so i would like to see the new one um i just really like the guy who plays Spock. Mm, he's really good yeah um no i, I think i'd love that first movie it was great yeah so I'm looking forward to that this week. And I'll need to go and see Iron Man. Maybe tomorrow I'll go and see Iron Man 3. Because we've got a brilliant little cinema down in Prostatin. Mm-hmm. And it's only a little small one. There's only, you know, 50 seats or something. And it's all part of this art centre. So the digital projection and the sound is just brilliant. But the best thing is you can buy a drink and take it in. Ooh. So, you know, they don't kind of fleece you for the Maltesers and a bit of crappy popcorn. Um you can take your own stuff and take stuff from the bar. It's really, really good. There's a nice little cinema in Brighton that does um, uh, espresso beers, mm. like coffee beer, which is really nice because um, it's kind of it keeps you awake. We saw uh, the amazing Spider-Man at the Alamo Draft House in Austin, Texas. Oh yeah, man, what a cinema that is! You sit down and the, the seats are really comfy, but in front of you is like a like a long table, mm-hmm. and there's like a little low light. And they give you a menu when you walk in. And then if you want a beer, and I mean a beer, not just like a bottle of beer, but like a pint of beer, you just press your button and write down on a bit of paper what you want. And you can have food, you know, burgers and ribs and everything, and you just write it down. And they'll bring it to you through the, during the movie. They'll no. bring it to you during the film and just put it in front of you and write down your check. And then at the end, they'll come along and take the money or you pay on the way out. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> And isn't it, not crappy. You know what it's like when you when you eat crappy cinema food here. Yeah, it's like fifteen quid for a lukewarm hot dog. Um, there, oh no, they take the food really seriously. So if you ever get out to Austin, that's the place to go. It's brilliant. Mm. So that was the good news. Bad news. Bad news. Yeah, bad news this week. Oh, fireworks is dead. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I completely forgot about this. Um, so we talked about it last week. Uh, you were saying, oh, I wish Adobe would just come out and say whether they're going to stop making it. Um, I think you made some chicken noises. And yeah, and that, a couple of days later, it was just a few hours after I published the show and <laughs> they announced that they were killing it. Yeah, well, I doubt they listened to me, but <laughs> at least we know where we are with it now. Yeah. Um, and... At least it's going to continue as part of Creative Suite. They said that they'd update it for, you know, software patches or security or whatever. But I mean, the most important thing they could have done would just be, I mean, yeah, they talked about in the, in the blog post, which I'll put a link in the show notes, um, about, you know, not wanting to add more features to it. It doesn't need more features. No, it just needs fine. updating for a retina display. In fact, take features out, please, Adobe. <laughs> yeah, those, those, uh, the little smart drawings. Yep, don't need those. In fact, you don't need half of the stuff that they've 
that Adobe have actually weighted down fireworks with for the last however many years. Um, but, you know, just update it for a retina display and I'll never bother you again. <laughs> but they just they said, and this is a, a quote from the, the blog post that they wrote. Um, Over the last couple of years, there's been an increasing amount of overlap in the functionality between fireworks and both existing and new programs like Photoshop, Illustrator and Edge Reflow. What? (laughs) What? What? If you've ever used fireworks ever for like more than five minutes, you know, there's no overlap with Photoshop. Mm. In fact, if there is an overlap, it's because they put crap into Photoshop as well. Vector tools and it's like... I really dislike using Photoshop. I've only had to use it a couple of times just because someone sent me a file that fireworks just couldn't couldn't understand. And it's I'm trying to do the most simple thing, like like um you know, select something with a marquee and it's just oh it, the thing mm. that I like about fireworks is it's compared to Photoshop, it's quite simple to use. Well, ironically, I've just come out of my creative cloud subscription mm-hmm. um, and moved back to a, in inverted commas, boxed version of the software. Right. Um, and so I don't have to pay my subscription now, just, just in time, of course, for creative suite to now be subscription only. Yeah. Um, but you know, to be honest, I don't expect that I'm ever going to upgrade my Adobe apps ever again. Yeah. They can't put any feature, not one single feature, into any of these products that I'm going to want, that I can think of now anyway. Yeah. Fireworks is the only thing that mattered to me. Mm. So I'm going to try Sketch out. Um, a lot of people have been talking about that this week, yeah. so I'll, I'll let you know how that goes. Um, but, yeah, disappointed. I didn't expect any less. You know, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. So at least, you know, at least we know now. I'm going to keep using it until um, until I can't. Um, yeah, me until too. It stops working. But I'm going. Yeah. I don't. I don't see myself buying any Adobe software after that. No, I mean, you know, I did see some of the announcements from uh, the Adobe conference this week, and there is some lovely stuff in there. I mean, the idea that you can have all of your typekit fonts, um, not just in Adobe apps, but you can use them you know, all the way across everything, you yeah. know, keynote or whatever pages or whatever you want to use. I think that's, that's a really good thing. So they've, they've made some really, uh, really good announcements. And I don't know whether you saw Jeffrey's post about the fact that it was almost as if typekit had taken over Adobe rather than the other way around. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't understand that. Well, it's just the culture of typekit. I mean, Jeff Veen, who is a, you know, wonderful human being and a brilliant kind of visionary. Um, he owned typekit. Right. And, when Adobe bought the company, he went with it and is now some bigwig hmm. at, at type at uh, Adobe. And obviously, you know that the culture, the kind of almost small startup culture, has been migrated back into Adobe. Right, I see. and they're transforming the you know big corporation rather than the other way around. Yeah, I think was what Jeffrey meant. Um, and I can imagine that actually, knowing the people that I know at Typekit. So, but you know, it doesn't do anything for me. Mm. I'm just gonna. I'm not, no, do you know what? I'm not sulking about fireworks. It's like, now I know that's fine. Yeah. I've got a, machi- I've was... got a machine here. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here stroking a little MacBook Air. <laughs> which, well, there's not any donut on it. It's, I've got this little MacBook Air, and I think that this is always, always going to be my fireworks machine. Yeah. You know, one day I might upgrade my laptop, um, and one day I might update this iMac here. Um, 
but I'm always going to keep this machine around just to run fireworks. If that's all it ever does. Oh. There we go. That's sad. We should, uh, we should move on to our topic. Mm. Today we're going to answer some of our amazing listeners' questions. Uh, but first, let me tell you about our first sponsor, which is Perch. Uh, we talked about Perch in our very first episode. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Do you know, I can't believe that we've, we're now at episode 18. <laughs> wow. 18 weeks. Going through the teenage years. <laughs> <laughs> our show's like a, a noisy adolescence. Well, do you know, you make me feel young. <laughs> Grizzled old beardy guy. Anyway, Perch. It's um, a content management system, which is for projects where you don't want the hassle or expense of setting up a big, complex CMS. And it can help you turn around small projects quicker and make them more profitable. Perch is made with PHP and MySQL. It, it's uh, self-hosted, so you just install it on your own server. Um, unlike hosted CMS solutions, there's no worry about uptime issues. And the best part is that Perch has been designed by front-end developers. That's Drew and Rachel. And it's for designers and front-end developers. There's no built-in markup to um, to battle with because you use your own HTML and CSS and JavaScript. And Perch gets out of the way and lets you build great websites. Perch is a one-off license cost of £50 per website. And that's it, a one-off, one payment, and all the first-party add-ons are free. If you haven't already given it a try, please do. So go to grabaperch.com forward slash unfinished um, and they'll know we sent you. I've got quite a few sites on Perch. I've got my own personal site. Um, I've got a few other little sites that they're, they're kind of, they're too, they're too big to just have a static files, but kind of too small to use a, a massive CMS. And it's really nice just being able to, um, you kind of start off with, um, you can write your own HTML and CSS and then you kind of, you add in, you add in the bits of perch rather than the other way around, you know, starting with a, a load of template files and, and, and trying to kind of shoehorn your markup into it. And I think that's a really nice way of doing it. Yeah. That's what I like about perch. We run the unfinished site off perch yeah. as well. Yeah. Have you listened to Drew and Rachel's perch CMS podcast? Yeah. I've listened to a couple of episodes. I need to catch up there. I think they've just come out with a new one. Um, yeah, there is episode six at the moment. But yeah, I've listened to that and it's really nice to hear people that are making this software yeah. talking about it. And, you know, it's not like they're some big company. It's just the two of them. Mm. And it makes it really personal. It makes you want to support small, you know, small software developers. Yeah. And they really, really care about Perch. I mean, that's, they work so hard on it. No, I love Perch. Me so too. <laughs> we should <laughs> let's let's uh, let's talk about some questions. There's uh, one here from Luis. Not sure where Luis is from. Um, he wrote into the show and said, and he talked about a specific typeface he'd used in some client work, and he bought it. Do you charge those to the client? Is this a business expense like a computer? If you charge the fonts, can you use them in other projects? That was a good question. Yeah. Um. I was thinking about this actually because, you know, there's a lot that we have to buy assets and stuff. You know, we have to buy for for client projects, um, and some of them we're going to charge, and some of them we're just going to absorb. And I think in that particular case, things like fonts and stock photos, things like that, other project assets, um, we'll include them if we're charging our kind of all-inclusive weekly rate. Do you remember we talked about this before? Yeah. So we've got a few rates at stuff um, 
three different rates. We've got our most expensive one, which is like, you know, valet, all inclusive mm. or all you can eat. Um, which basically means you just buy everybody and everything and you just pay a one off fee and it just makes accounting or project management really easy. Um, so if we're, if we're charging that top rate, then we're just going to include everything yeah. and, you know, nobody has to worry. Um, if we're not, if we're just charging a standard rate, then yeah, those incidentals will charge on. Um, we'll charge those to the client. Um, and we obviously agree that in advance. Yeah, there's something that's written into the contract that says, if we need something, we'll talk to you about it and then we'll add it to the bill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then most of the time, um, particularly when there's something that needs a license, like I bought some more fonts for a project this week. Um, and I asked the client to buy them because, you know, I want the license to be in their name. So, you know, I'll sit there with somebody and, you know, help yeah, them buy I do it. that too with stock photos. Um, and yeah, you know, at least that way they take control of everything because I'm not going to, I don't want to charge a few quid on top of, you know, a stock photo or a font. I think it's also yes. important to do that with, um, because a lot of these accounts, things like Font Deck, they've got um, recurring fees and you don't want like an year's time to to be billed for that and then have to bill them. No, I think it's, it's important to, to arrange for them to do it and then they give you the what you need. Yeah, and this, this font that I bought this week, different one, uh, that comes with, it's not available on type kits. I bought it straight from the type house mm-hmm. and they have their own uh, web font service. So obviously, you know, the client's going to want to set that up. They're going to put their own domain name in there. Yeah. Um, and it's all theirs. I don't need to get involved in that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, generally speaking, um, we will charge for those kind of things. As for can we use them again in other projects? Well, you know, sometimes. I wouldn't use the same stock photo twice. Um, but if you're buying a font and it's in the library, then, yeah, I think so. Um, but then I wouldn't charge it again. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't charge it twice. Yeah. And then sometimes, um, and it is sometimes, we'll charge other expenses like travel and hotels right. onto a project. So these trips to Geneva that I'm doing for WIPO at the moment, um, it's the day rate or the weekly rate um, plus expenses. And that just includes uh, hotels, and, uh, hotels and travel. Yeah. Do you send me your receipts and stuff? Uh, actually with this particular job, we've got an allowance, so I don't have to submit individual receipts. Right. Um, but a lot of the time, yeah, I would do. So what, what am I paying? Um, you know, for the week, it's like 70 quid in the car park at Liverpool airport. God, that's expensive <laughs> to leave your car in a yeah. car park. Um, so there's a car park, there's the plane fare. Uh, Geneva's good actually. If you go to Geneva, when you get off the plane, you get a little ticket out of the machine and you get a free train ride into the city. Hmm. And then when you check into your hotel, they give you a free public transport pass that lasts oh, for nice. like a whole week. Wow. So I know it's great. You get on trams and buses and so I don't have to pay for travel to and from work at all or weeks. Great. Oh, that's really nice. So there's those kind of expenses and then the hotel and then, you know, super books me into <laughs> skanky flea pits. Aww. Well, because, you know, it's, everyone's always oh, so glamorous, isn't it, all this travel that you do. <laughs> but, you know, you go to, you know, you go to Geneva, I get up in the morning, I go to work, I come home, you know, I go back to the hotel. I say, well, what am I going to do? Yeah. So, you know, I'm sitting there working. There's no point in me, and then I go to sleep. So there's no point in spending, you know, a couple of hundred, two, 300 pounds a night, because Geneva's expensive. <laughs> 
um, on you know on a swanky hotel room as long as it's got a decent bed and a kettle. That's all. <laughs> yeah, kettle's all the important part. And you know, it was our wedding anniversary this week. And uh, Sue's present to me was a travel kettle. Oh, isn't that sweet? That's great. Take it to America with you, with those yeah, hotels with coffee machines. Yeah, it's a dual voltage one, so we can take it to America, and I'm going to take it into uh, into Geneva next week. Um, but I thought that was really sweet. Oh. So, uh, so yeah, so I charge all of those things on top. Um, I don't charge a kebab. Yeah, if I want to kind of like have a beer or a kebab or some fondue, I'm not going to charge that. Yeah. Um, but you know, legitimate travel expenses I'll charge. Yeah. Um, and then normally, uh, normally we don't charge for meeting expenses. Like I was down, I went down to London yesterday, and I'm having a couple of meetings. I'm working with a client. I didn't charge for that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like an eighty quid train fare. That's just a business expense. Um, and everything else that we buy. You know, whether it's, you know, Macs or software or apes or not apes, apes (laughs) apps. Sorry, that should have been apps, not apes. Um, They're just like a cost of doing business. Yeah. So, you know, you're just going to budget for those. I'm not ever going to charge those onto a client unless it's something specific. Um, And that's how we work. You know, we're just, I never want to, you know, make any money on incidentals. Um, disbursements. I just, I'm just not interested. Yeah. Um, you know, but we'll, we'll charge them where we need to. Um, yeah, cause, you know, we need to, we, we can't have things, you know, if it's for the client benefit, we can't have those things eating into our profit. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all got to make a living. We've got another question about charging. Um, this is from Sanjay who says, I'm a young designer slash developer. I'm just starting out as a freelancer. And one of the things I've really been encouraged by is how much everyone is having to constantly learn and relearn the best way to do things. How do I charge for this? So far, I haven't charged for learning time, especially if I feel it's something I'll use again. I think this is a problem quite unique to this industry. I think that's a really good question because um, it's something that, you know, if, if you if you start on a project where you have to learn a bunch of new stuff, um, you're kind of, that that's going to eat into your profit. And it's, you know, do you charge for that time or um, do you just kind of swallow that cost? What do you do? Well, I think that everything that we do, we're learning. Um, and, you know, if you're, not, if you're not learning something from every job, then, you know, you're probably just treading water. Yeah. Um, I suppose, you know, if you have to go out and learn something completely different then, yeah, you know, you should have put your homework in. Um, you know, if, if I needed to learn JavaScript, then, well, actually, there's no time in the world. <laughs> <laughs> 40 years later. Um, but, no, everybody's learning all the time. I mean, that's how it should be. So I don't think it's wrong to, you know, to charge to charge that stuff out. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you're charging to solve a problem and mm. deliver a solution, and whatever it takes to get there, you do. So I don't think there's anything wrong at all in in experimenting and 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 learning and and charging that on, um, you know, because you're going to deliver the end result at the end. Um, I don't agree that it's a problem unique to this industry though, because you know I imagine that teachers and doctors yeah. and health professionals all have to, you know, constantly keep on top of what's happening. I think it's different though if you're a freelancer to if you work in a company. If you work in a company. 
I think that time is you, you get paid whether you're learning or whether you're doing client work. But with a, with, with freelancing, you, you get paid to do the job, but to learn new skills, that's kind of your own time. Yeah, do you know it's funny in Japan? Um, we when we set up these workshops a, a couple of months ago. Mm. Um, so Soshi came. We planned our week, and we were going to do the the workshop in Tokyo on like the Thursday or the Friday. And Satoshi, our host over there, said, "No, you have to do it on a Saturday because Japanese people don't learn in the work time. Uh, they think that learning should be something that you do uh, like, in like your homework. own time. Yeah, basically." So that's why they do all their learning and their training at the weekend in their own time. And they pay for their own courses wow. too. I know, it's amazing. So, yeah, but I suppose if you're, if you're in a company, then you're going to have, I don't know, you're going to have more time to, to learn stuff. I don't know. With client work, I usually, if, there, if there's something new that I'm going to have to learn, I usually say, yeah, it's going to take me a little longer um, than, than it would. And obviously that'll cost more because it's my day rate. Um, but if if I feel that I can do it, then I'll do it. Um, but if there's something that I just want to learn, obviously I'm not going to charge a client for that. I'll sort of do that after doing the client work, you know, in the evening. Um, but yeah, if it's if it's something that, that is integral to to getting the job done, um, I won't I won't sit down and kind of just watch tutorials all day but i'll i'll kind of muddle through i mean i'm not talking about you know major learning i mean, yeah. remember you know we'd been in business what well, we started in 98 and it was 2002 ish maybe three um and i went to a seminar down in london um which was supposed to be about uh a UX usability thing very early on. Anyway, the guy couldn't make it and somebody stood in uh, for him and he was talking about accessibility. And this was my first experience of, of web standards. Yeah. The very, very first thing I, I ever knew. And he was talking about HTML and CSS and I don't know what the hell he was talking about because <laughs> I'd done everything, I'd done everything in Dreamweaver. You know, that was all I'd ever done up until that point. Uh, so that's when I got back. And I pulled up his website and did what I, you know, I thought, what's so special about that? So, you know, I viewed source and copied the code and pasted it into Dreamweaver, <laughs> expecting to, you know, see the table structure like I'd always seen. And I got like, you know, an unstyled page. And I was completely flawed because I didn't know anything about HTML or CSS at all. So I then spent about the next six months just relearning. I thought, wow, this is, this is the way to go. Then I need to be on, I need to be on top of this. Mm. And at the time anyway, there weren't really any books on, on web standards, um, on HTML or CSS. And there wasn't a lot online either. So I learned a hell of a lot just by experimenting. And this is how I learned today. You know, I'm, I'm learning Flexbox and the, all these new CSS layout techniques now. Yeah. And yeah. I'm spending, cause I'm doing a workshop as well, but, I'm spending all of my time. I'm not charging that to a client. I would never have charged that learning period to a client because that's just me investing in myself. Um, but if there's a little something that you need to do, well, you know, yeah, charge that on. But otherwise, otherwise not. I think it's good if you are kind of taking your own time to learn stuff is to have a useful output for that, whether it's blogging 
about what you're learning or um, making a little side project that you can experiment with, making a little sandbox site, putting it on GitHub, something like that. It, that will kind of, it should have eventually pay, pay for itself. One of That's one of the things that we did back in the day, um, you know, when I was learning CSS was, you know, we were all just in it together. And, yeah. you know, this is before Twitter. So, you know, we'd be writing, blogging about something that we learned or, you know, or is this the best way of doing it? Um, I mean, I wrote some, I wrote some tosh. <laughs> I mean, I really did write some appalling tosh, um, and get things so horribly wrong now looking back on it. I wrote posts about how you could use definition lists to mark up a product in an e-commerce store. Mm. <laughs> I know, can you imagine? It's like you look at that and you go, what a fool. But, you know, back then we were all learning. Um, and yeah, I do miss that a little bit sometimes. Did you see the CSS Zen Garden? I um, did, yeah. 10th anniversary. Yeah, that was really, really humbling to to think, bloody hell, that was 10 years ago. Are you going to submit anything? I've got a, a design already in Ooh. Um, from December 2004. <laughs> <laughs> this was, um, it was, a, oh, I'll tell you what, it was a real ambition of mine. Because, you know, everybody thinks, oh, you know, I've been around since like the dawn of time and, but, <laughs> and you know, established or whatever. But do you know what? I was just like, I was just like a big fanboy at the time. And, you know, the idea of getting a design of mine on the CSS Zen Garden or in, you know, CSS Vault was one of these gallery sites at the time. Ah, mm. oh, man, I used to take screenshots of everything. <laughs> Just, oh, in fact, I've still got screenshots of the first time that Zeldman ever linked to me Aww. on his site. Because, you know, big fan, big fan. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was funny, 10 years ago. Wow. So are you going to put, are you going to do something? I might do, yeah. You should. It's a really good exercise. Um, I had a lot of fun doing it. So we've got another question here. Yep. Um, from Mr. C. What did he say? He said, I've been working in the same web design agency for 14 years as a designer and creative d director, and I'm looking to set up with a friend and we have some good potential clients. So my question is, how do I make that transition from full-time employment to owning my own business? I don't want my boss to know that I'm jumping ship yet because I need to establish a good solid amount of work as I have a family to look after. And I guess I need to be paying tax on any money I'm taking. And if I'm paying tax, my boss will have to know, right? Ah, confused, sad face. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> usual disclaimer, um, please speak to a financial or a tax advisor about any tax implications. We cannot give financial advice on this show. Um, but I mean, there are a couple of ways around it, I think, um, I think that it's possible that if he's setting up a business, I don't know, is he in the UK or the US? I don't know. Not sure. Um, but if he's setting up a limited company here or an LLC in the US, um, that company can take care of the tax that it owes. Because obviously the tax, the company. Because it's a separate and, entity. It's not you. you are different entities. Now, how you pay yourself through that company, um, be it in dividends or salaries or however, that, well, that's entirely up to you. And, you know, it could be that if you are being paid dividends from your own company, that's how we work, then you would then just self-declare that on your tax return and your current employer isn't going to have to know about that. 
Mm. Um, I think he's only going to have to know about that if you're paying uh, pay-as-you-go tax um, right. and, uh, and it affects your tax code. I think that that might be an issue. Um, but either way, you know, even if you're just charging it directly, you're getting you, the money straight into your account, self-declare it at the end on your tax return, and I think that that's the way to go. Um, but please, please, please talk to a financial professional and not a Planet of the Apes aficionado. <laughs> Because I'm not the person to talk to. But I mean, apart from that, though, I was thinking about this a lot today, this question, because obviously Mr. C has been with this same design agency for a long time. Mm. And, you know, creative director. Uh, he's built up a lot of, um, you know, loyalty on both sides um, you know, with his employer and with the clients as well. Yeah. And I, th- and I think sometimes it would be, be a bit sad to squander that in a way. Um, so maybe he's talking about how do I make the transition from full-time to employment? Well, maybe it can be about a transition. Maybe he just doesn't have to go from one thing to the next. You know, maybe, I don't know how it works, but, you know, maybe it would be a nice idea for, him to speak to his employer right now and see whether, you know, is there some way that we can make this work? You know, look, I've been here for a long time. Um, and you know, I've got a great amount of respect for everything that we do. I love you and I love the clients and stuff like that, but you know, I need something else. I need a bit more of a challenge. Mm. Yeah. And this is why I'm thinking about, you know, maybe setting up my own business, but you know, I don't want to just leave you, you know, we've been, we've been through a lot. Is there not some way in which we can kind of work together? You know, maybe I can go part time. Maybe I don't want to leave our clients. You know, with, after all the work that we've done. You know, maybe there's some way that we can kind of transition this um, so that you know my new business and my old company can work together. I don't know. It's it certainly often seems a shame. You just walk out of the door and then that's that. Yeah. And I, I bet that his employer is not going to like the idea that if he has built up a relationship with clients over the years, which is bound to have happened, mm. that there's a danger of them, you know, walking out the door with him. Yeah. So. I think there's, uh, there's usually stuff in employment contracts that kind of prevent that. Well, yeah, but you can't stop a client from wanting to, you know, go yeah. wherever. You know, if they turn around and actually want to go with Mr. C from now on, you know, what's the old agency going to do? Yeah. You know, if he hasn't actively solicited their business, then, you know, and does he have a non-compete clause in his contract? I don't know. But, you know, sometimes it's a bit sad to just burn your bridges. And, you know, maybe there's some compromise. Maybe there's some way in which we can kind of, you know, you can make it more of a smooth transition. I listened to um, Dan Benjamin's show called Quit. And he, he basically, it's a bit like a call in show. People phone in and uh, one of the questions that they ask a lot is, how do I go from a kind of full time job to, to the scary jumping off the edge of a cliff and starting my own business? And, um, especially, especially if you've got family. I mean, I can't really speak from experience on that. Um, but I imagine it's, it's a, not an easy decision at all to mm. go start your own business if you've got a family to support. Um, and the advice that he usually gives is, um, make sure you've got kind of maybe, maybe three to six months, um, kind of, uh, living expenses so that if you didn't get any work in that six months, uh, you could still kind of survive. 
Um, and then if after three months it doesn't go well, start looking for a new job. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, um, yeah, I, I, I've written, I'll dig out the link in the show notes, but I've, I've written about building a financial buffer. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, I said, I think three months worth of uh, buffer income, um, which you should build as quickly as possible in the business. Yeah. So, you know, I think that I suggested that, you know, you make it a six month buffer and then a one year buffer um, as quickly as you can. Um, but, you know, that, I don't want to talk about that right now, but I think the most important thing and the thing that I think is pertinent to this particular question um, is about the relationship between Mr. C and the people that he works with now. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that I hope that I've learned over the years is never burn your bridges. I mean, years ago, years and years and years ago, so we're going back to early 90s, so it'd be 92 possibly something like that. I went to work with this company and, uh, it was a, it was a, a, well, you think of it as a startup now. Four guys, uh, two of them owned the company. And then, you know, there was me and a guy called Dragon. I'm not making it up. He's actually <laughs> called Dragon. It's great. Uh, Yugoslavian guy. And, you know, I worked with Joe and Mark and Dragon and we built up this business over a lot of years. And that's when we got into digital photography. So, you know, we worked together really closely and we were really good friends and, you know, I loved it. But, you know, when I stopped loving it and I wanted to get back and do creative again, you know, I turned around to Joe and, and said, you know, listen, I just want to go and do something different. Yeah. And, you know, we went out, we had a nice meal, um, you know, we stayed friends and, you know, that was, that was that. And then, a few years later, and this was just before we set up stuff again. A few years later, I've been doing a, a little bit of contracting work and that had run out. And we had a period of time where, you know, I actually needed a little bit of stability. Mm. So, you know, I phoned him up and said, Joe, you know, listen, what's happening? Actually, um, you know, I think I can do some stuff with you again if, if you're interested. And I went back. You know, I worked for the same company twice. Yeah. And did you I go did back as a kind of full time person or were you free? Yeah, yeah, no, full time. Um and at the time anyway, I was doing a little bit of web work as we were, you know, first getting started. Um and then when it got to the point where actually I needed to make a decision between um doing the work that I was doing with Joe and the full time web stuff. And we got a couple of projects that were gonna take, you know, m- most of the time. Um, and I didn't want to let Joe down. You know, I went to him and I said, look, you know, you know, I've been doing my web stuff, um, on the side. Um, it's got to the point where, you know, I want to concentrate on doing that. Um, so, you know, I'm going to leave. And he went, well, I'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, fortunately for me, maybe not fortunately for Joe, but, um, I haven't been back yet. And we've still been friends. Yeah. Um, but, you know, never burn your bridges. You know, there's really no need for, you know, to, you know, to, to be underhand about it, you know, just see whether there's some way you can work together. Yeah. Tell me about, um, Ben Frayne's book. Mmm. Yeah. New book. Yeah. I love talking about new books on the show. And this is a really, really good one this week. It's SAS and Compass for Designers by Ben Frayne. So I've got a bit of an inside knowledge about this book because I wrote the foreword for it. Uh, it's the only crappy part of the book, to be honest. <laughs> Everything else is, it's sass gold. I hope you didn't tell any jokes in it. 
Oh, enough about the jokes. <laughs> I thought I was funny. Anyway, if you're a designer like me, or you're a developer like Anna, and you're ready to make the move from writing vanilla CSS to SAS, you've got to get a copy of Ben's book. Honestly, I made that same move to SAS about a year ago, and I really wish I'd had this book back then, because it would have just saved so much time. But more important than that, I think I'd be better at SAS now, and my CSS would be better as a result. Didn't you start off doing less? I did start off doing less. And for a start, when I switched to SAS, I used it the same way as I used less. So, you know, the two things were were pretty much the same. Mm. Um, and the main reason I switched to SAS was because of Hammer. Because Hammer doesn't process less, but it processes SAS. Yeah. So that was my kind of, uh, that was my reasoning for it. So anyway, in the book, Ben starts with how to set up a SAS and a Compass project. Um, and, you know, I'm a real terminal phobe. I mean, God, I hate the terminal. But Ben makes it sound so simple that even I can understand it. And then he covers nesting selectors, extends, placeholders and mix-ins. Oh, I learned so much from that section. I want to go back now and improve all the SAS that I wrote for Rockhammer based on what I learned from Ben's book. And then he explains responsive and flexible grids with SAS, uh, media queries, and how Compass makes CSS3 and image sprites really, really easy. So if you're a designer who's new to SAS and Compass and you're keen to get started, you're going to love this book. If you're a developer nerd who likes programming logic, you're going to enjoy it too. I, I just I can't recommend this book highly enough. So... SAS and Compass for Designers is available on Amazon now. And if you'd like a little more info about it, take a look at the book's website. We have a special URL for you, which is sasandcompass.com slash unfinished. Use that and Ben will know you heard about his book right here on the show. I think I need to get a copy of that. You do need to get a copy of that. It's brilliant. Are you are you writing SAS? Yeah, and... I, I just, I mainly just use it for the kind of mix-ins. So I've got all my colours and fonts in there, but I don't, I don't really understand it well enough to do the the logic and doing all the fancy things like turning pixels into M's. Yeah, I've, I've got, I've got kind of mix-ins that do that, but um, they're just ones I've kind of copy and pasted off tutorial sites. I don't really understand how they work. Yeah, me too. I tell you what, I learned from this book um, was extends. And, you know, I'd seen them before. I'd read through the SAS tutorials online. Um, and I didn't really understand what they were about. Mm. And then but the way Ben explained it, I was like, oh, <laughs> really, really, really good. Um, it's know, the sort got... of thing that will save you a lot of time. Ah, oh, brilliant. Yeah, really brilliant. So that couldn't have come a better time. And I was sort of raving about the book. And then Ben said, well, do you want to write the forward? It's like, yeah. I write the forward, so it's it's good. You should you should definitely pick this book up. So we've got another question here um, from Mark Hyatt. He says, "My problem is that here in the USA, USA, we are awash with five dollar web providers. For five dollars, you get to pick out a template and edit a few fields, and you're on the wing." What does that even mean? Um. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I've tried to explain that your dog grooming site is going to look just like a check cashing site in Detroit or a hair salon in Phoenix or a used car lot in Omaha. These places are made up. 
Actually, they're not. Omaha's in Nebraska, but I've never been there. But it's tough to wrestle $1,500 to $3,500 from someone who thinks a good starting point is $5. Um, Well, that's the same everywhere, isn't it? Mm. That's the same everywhere. He said here, a decade ago, we had about a dozen video rental stores in this town. Now there's only one. I don't want to spend a lot of time to find myself Netflixed by some new outfit that's that's got more templates. Is there a future here anymore? That sounds like a song title. <laughs> sounds like a song, song title from a country album. <laughs> like the Pistolanis. Oh, dear. You should get that album. In fact, I'm going to buy you that album. No. Oh, it was a present. Don't say no. <laughs> Ungrateful man. <laughs> so, cheap websites. Mm. Well, it's the same. But it's the same everywhere, isn't it? And I think that there's always going to be a market for this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, we have what is it, one and one? Yeah, yeah, the couple TV get, ads. Yeah, and you're always going to get point that. and, and click, pick your yeah. colour. And it's the same with those um, crappy business cards. Yeah, one yeah. of those things, you know, the, the five hundred business cards for a fiver, or I can't remember who it is. Um, if you're listening and you're from a crappy business card company and you want to sponsor this show. <laughs> um, but, you know, you're always going to get that cheap stuff. And some people are going to like it because some people have no taste. Mm. Um, and that's okay. And if some people have no perception of quality or even actually, to be honest, if a $5 business card or a $5 website does the trick, well, you know, fine. Yeah. But is that the market that you, you know, you're going to, you want to be in? No. And I think that if you're, if you're like Mark here and you want to be in the $1,500 to $3,500 area, well, be in that area and and let somebody carry on charging websites for a fiver. Yeah. And you'll be here, you'll be there to service your clients in, you know, in the future. And the likelihood is, is that the $5 merchants aren't. There'll always um, be people, yeah, wanting, wanting a site for $5. Um, and the thing that you've really got to focus on if you're um, trying to get a high market is um, is the craft, is um, is the way that you build the site. You've got to differentiate yourself from from the sort of um, you know the one on ones. Mm. And there's room for lots of different people at lots of different strata of the market. Yeah. Um, and you know, just because somebody else is out there competing at five dollars doesn't mean to say that there's not room for you above that yeah um what did tim cook how did tim cook from apple put it something like a i think he called it a price umbrella um and you know apple have always been very clever with this you know they've always kind of gone in at high end and then got lower and lower with their products because they don't leave a space underneath it for you know cheaper companies to come in um and you know just because somebody else is taking that you know that lower ground take the higher ground Mm concentrate on that um because there are people out there that will want a site for 1500 to 3500 dollars yeah uh, you just have to find them you just have to let them know that you're the person to come to and you know not not the five dollar and merchant. focus on the skills that that make you different from from the person building the five dollar websites things like you know accessibility responsive web design um optimization these are the things that often you don't get with um, with these really cheap websites that are just kind of thrown together. Hmm. Um, but don't try and kind of, you know, if, someone's, if someone really wants this $5 website, you know, you, 
they're just going to do it. I don't think there's any point in trying to sell them something more than than they've got their eye on. No, there's no point in even trying to compete at that level of the market. Mm. Um, there's a related question here from, I like this, a fan of the show. <laughs> oh, I put that because they wanted to be in on this as well. <laughs> um, they said here, I got into web design about five years ago, and I think I produce good work for clients who can't afford sites which cost four figures. I started out doing sites for £100, and in the last year, my average project fee is probably around 500 Well, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there doing that. Mm. Um, when is it okay, he or she asks, to call yourself a designer or developer, and does it have any criteria attached? I call myself a web developer or web designer, so I'm found, and I get a constant flow of sub-1,000-pound projects. And I've never had a gap in projects in five years. Is the web industry trying to close the door on guys like me who need to learn on the side and try to battle through to become a full-time freelancer? I thought this was, I, I really like this email. Um, so it's it's a little bit longer than that. We've, we've kind of shortened it down. Um, he put a too long, didn't read version. Um, but what I really liked is the the kind of the email came from um he saw a tweet someone someone wrote saying um there are far too many people out there doing client work who act, who have absolutely no business doing so um and they also tweeted reading tutorials and learning the basics makes you a web developer about as much as reading a medical encyclopedia makes you a doctor i think that's really harsh you know that's mm. really kind of it's almost like protectionism yeah, I didn't like that comment. It was a little bit kind of, I mean, I hate to use the word kind of elitist, but yeah. I, I don't know. It, it left a bad taste, that. Yeah, it's, it's something that I've heard a couple of times, people saying, you know, it's um, they, they kind of they don't like the the new people coming into the industry. Uh, you know, there are, there are a lot of, it's like these sort of $5 um, people who make $5 websites. Um, you could feel threatened by that um and say that you know they're they're not they're not web developers they're not web designers um or you could just say you know we've got a we've got an education problem here and um maybe we need to be doing more to support people who are kind of new to the industry and it's 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 the way you look at it do Mm. you see it as a problem or do you see it as as something that that you know the, the industry needs to support I mean, okay, if you're working at the cheaper end of the market um, and, you know, obviously a non here um, doesn't seem to have any problem getting work at all, um, this is potentially where your $5 websites might cause more of a problem. Yeah. Because, you know, you could find your market kind of eroded um, if you're not able to really differentiate yourself. But I tell you what, there's nothing wrong in that business at all. I mean, we started in... Virtually the same circumstances. Yes. Yeah. You know, for the first couple of years, that was what we were doing. I think our first invoice for a website that we charged, for the first stuff invoice, I'll dig it out, I'll probably post it online somewhere. Um, I think it was about 250 quid. Yeah. I, I My first one was about 100 and the client paid in cash um, and the money was in his sock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we did, we did that. And, you know, I'm not trying to do the whole kind of, yes, we've been there, but... Mm. You know, we had, we had a couple of years with, you know, while we're getting started with, you know, low earners. And 
I've kind of realised you, you get people that will say to you now, you know, they'll they'll pick up the phone or they'll drop you an email and say, oh, can we afford you? You know, because they think somehow that we're going to be, you know, horribly expensive. Point is, is that having a lower budget can be okay. Yeah. You know, everybody's rolling in it. And as long as the client's got realistic expectations, you know, they're not after, you know, they're not after the, the sun and the moon for 500 quid, then that's fine. You can make a good business out of having um, those kind of, you know, that, that level of project. Yeah, and as long as um, you're not stretching yourself too thin. No, and the thing is, is that if you're geared up for that kind of thing, and you've got a really efficient process and, you know, you can, you, you concentrate on doing the important stuff and, you know, maybe using SAS and, you know, you, you, you put in your code out quickly, you know, you've got a good throughput and an efficient process. Um, so it's not taking you three weeks to do a 500 pound site. Well, there's nothing wrong in that business. Nothing wrong at all. It doesn't make you less of a designer or less of a developer. No, and I've got so much respect, so much respect for people that, actually just want to graft yeah you know it's not about um you know not necessarily even about the money it's i just love people that put the effort in you know and and graft and you know all, no, all respect to those kind of people mm. so no i don't think it's a bad thing at all and as for um the web industry trying to close its doors um on you know the little guy um, no, 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 quite the opposite, I think. Did you see, um, my friend Dan Davis's little site that he launched this week? I ask you answer. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. Oh, that's brilliant. I'll put a link in the show notes. So Dan's, Dan's a, a mate of mine and, uh, he lives down the road here. Uh, he works for an agency in Manchester and, oh, I love Dan. He's such a great guy. Um, he decided that he wanted to do an interview series. Um, but you know, not, not a kind of a web celeb interview series, so called. He wanted to do, you know, he just wanted to talk to people. Mm. And, um, you know, there's people that I've known from Twitter or, or recognize their names and he's asking them questions on different topics. And it's, oh, it's brilliant. Uh, the one that he's been doing recently is all about workflow and how, um, easy or hard it is to integrate responsive design into your own workflow. Uh. And he's talking to, you know, freelancers and small business owners and people that work for agencies and people that work for in-house. Oh, that's really good. Um, uh, and it's, I've learned so much. You get such a good perspective from, you know, other people's experiences. And lots of different opinions as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I ask you answer.co.uk. Um, uh, and there's some really good stuff in here. I'm just having a look now. Um, it's a matter of workflow. So he's got, who's he got here now? Uh, Cole Henley. Yeah. He's in the list. Um, Al Power, who um, I think he works for Nominet. Uh, James Young, he's Welcome Brand on on Twitter. Uh, generally, people from the UK, um, but you know, all over. Um, yeah, Liverpool, Manchester. Uh, yeah, really, really good series of interviews. Um, I ask you answer dot co dot uk, and you know that's the kind of thing. You know, but I I want to hear from people. I you know, I want to learn different people's experiences it's not about thinking that you know we're any better because we've been doing it since you know since the css zen garden it's yeah it's one i want to find out what people are doing so cool and i think it's welcoming too you know it's a really welcoming industry you know there's nobody that i know 
that he's going to be, no, you can't come in here. It's an old, <laughs> it's an old boys club. I used to be so worried about that when I was starting out. I was, uh, um, uh, I used, I used to read the Bargworld forums quite a lot and I would just kind of lurk for, for months. And then sort of, I, I posted my first question. I think it was about, um, how do you get things like, uh, navigation to be consistent on every page? Because I didn't know about things like PHP includes, and they were so helpful. They were so kind of welcoming. You know, it was really encouraging. I think I, I worry about people starting out that they feel intimidated, um, but it is actually a really welcoming industry. Well, I started by doing um, a lot of stuff on the Accessify forum. Now, this is a long time ago. Uh, Ian Lloyd, hi, if you're listening, Ian. <laughs> I don't see you often enough. He started uh, this Accessify site and forum all about web accessibility. And the people that were contributing, you know, when I started looking at it back in you know, 2003, four, whatever, you had Derek Featherstone, uh, James Edwards, Brother Cake, uh, Patrick Lauka, um, lots of people that, you know, we now know in the industry. Um, you know, I learned so much from those people then. And, you know, that was what, you know, got me into the whole kind of community, if you like. And everyone starts, everyone starts small. Yeah. And, you know, back in the day, you know, I'd be posting stuff up. I'd be posting up some of my first CSS sites um, and saying, you know, what do you think? <laughs> and and people would be, you know, really helpful and commenting and going, you know, you know, that navigation is not as accessible as it could be. And, you know, don't forget this and don't forget that. And it was, it was brilliant. And I don't like to think of people, you know, feeling intimidated to, yeah, it always gets me. Um, there's been a, you know, a few occasions where, you know, you'll get an email from somewhere or I might tweet a link to something and you get, you, you get somebody that will reply, you know, Oh, you know, I didn't expect to get a link from you. <laughs> As if it's like, you know, Prince Harry. It's like, no, you know, it's why wouldn't I link to it? You know, you're doing some good stuff. I, I don't like this whole kind of, you know, People think they're separate somehow. Mm. I don't. I don't think it's got any place really. Um, but that's that's something that I hope that sites like Dan's um, is gonna, you know, is gonna help with. And he's not doing it in a kind of a. I'm not going to invite anybody that's well known. <laughs> it's like you can't come on here, Cluggy, or you know, you know. I don't know. You're not going to come on here if you've got a double-barreled name. <laughs> Elliot J. Stocks. You know, he's not doing it in some kind of like bitter anti-celeb way. He's doing it just like, so I'm going to talk to some people. What's it? No more. I'm just going to talk to some regular guys. Um, and it's brilliant. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing more on this site. Should we button it up? We should button it up. Um, you can email me at he has at unfinished.bz and Anna. She has at unfinished.bz or you can email both of us at they have at unfinished.bz. All the links we mentioned in this episode are in our show notes and you can find those unsurprisingly at unfinished.bz slash 18. That's the number 18. And to ask us questions and suggest topics, you can message us on Twitter at unfinished.bz. And people do a lot, don't they? I love the comments we get. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors, uh, their Perch, the little content management system for projects where you don't want a big, complex CMS, and Ben Frayne's fabulous new book, SAS and Compass for Designers. We'll see you next week. See you next week.